Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program today. It's Colin and my pleasure to have your company again. And just as we start our study, we just invite you to bow with us in prayer and we'll ask God to bless us as we open his word. Gracious Father in heaven, it's always our privilege, Father, to be in front of you, to learn from you, to be apprentices in this beautiful uh, teaching school that you've given us, that you've given us the word of truth that you speak to us through, and Father, your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And as such, Father, we just pray for a fresh baptism, a fresh anointing of your Spirit today on Colin and myself, and also to each person listening today. May we be blessed, and may we have an audience today, Father, with you that will drive our relationship with you forward, that we can reflect your image and your character to those around us. May we love and be loving Christians, Father, that can effectively represent you in this world, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Well, we're uh, progressing quite well through this book, 50 Days Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Jesus Christ Soon Return by Pastor Dennis Smith. And today we are looking at the lesson that comes from day 30, Thorns in the Flesh. That's quite an interesting subject matter there, Colin. So I'm looking forward to see how we unpack this today from the scriptures. Yeah, me too, Eddie. And um, where we get the word thorns in the flesh, or this verse, is from Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven to ten. So we're going to start off and read Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven to ten, where Paul is talking about these thorns in the flesh okay. that he was dealing with. And I'm reading from the New King James Version here. It says, "And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me." A messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So last time we spoke about Christ giving us the victory. That we, you know, even though the power of our sinful nature was broken at the cross mm. for the believer in Jesus Christ, that fact alone does not give us victory over sin. The Bible is clear, you know, of untold defeats in the Christian's life. Confirm that we do not have the ability to overcome temptation, sin, no how much effort we exert. Yes. Even if we ask God to add his power to our effort, we still fail mm. because it's our effort plus God. It's either all God or nothing. That's true. You know, if, if we're half mm. alive and we say, Lord, just make up my deficiency, what I mean by life is we haven't denied self fully and there's still self is still alive and we're relying on his strength and say, Lord, just give me more strength so that I can do it. It's not quite how it works. You've got to fully deny self so Christ can be living within us. And the more we have of Christ, the more we have of his power, the more we experience his victory in our life. That's right. And until we, you know, as Christians, come to understand and experience what it means to let Christ give us the victory, we won't experience that consistently obedient life that Jesus desires. Mm. And so we talked about Christ living his victorious life in and through you. Oh, beautiful. Because he had the victory. Yeah. 
Christ never lost a battle. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And so, you know, we looked at it. Is it possible? Is such a consistently obedient life really possible? Mm. Can we truly have victory over every temptation and sin in our life? That's a good question. That is the kind of life that God, the Bible, calls us to do. And remember, we talked about the Bible verses like in Romans chapter 6, 6, where it says, Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, mm. that henceforth we should not serve sin. Yes. Or again, again in Romans chapter uh, 6, verse 11 and 12, where likewise reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust thereof. And Romans six fourteen, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. And again, we looked at First John three nineteen. Whoever abideth him sins not, hmm. and whoever sin sins has not seen him, neither known him. And again, in First John three nine, whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So we look at all these verses and we go, well, wow. Mm. Here's the Bible saying this is possible. Yes. And we looked at how it can happen. Yeah, the how is very important because if you don't understand the how, and it all happens by faith, but if you don't understand the how, you're going to live a very frustrated life. Yeah, so we've sort of like looked at it and said this is what is possible, mm. but then the how. Yes. And let's be honest, many Christians have said it's impossible. That's right. And just given up. Yeah. How it happens is very simple. We need to learn to allow Jesus to live out his life mm. in us. And the truth set right throughout the Bible, as we discussed in last, our last program. And so, example, you know, like Romans 6.11, likewise reckon yourself dead to sin, be alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm. So the secret's always been there is Jesus Christ. That's right. And asking him to live out his life in and through us. And we looked at the steps in our last program of how to do it, to ask Jesus. You know, it does come down to relationship. You know, if we're so closely connected with the Lord, that Christ is the one that is the source of all our motives. You know, if he's written his laws within our hearts and our minds, the law of love, love to God is supreme and our fellow man, we will be able to walk that walk that represents the character of God as far as love to God and love to our fellow man. That's how we receive Christ through faith. And it says then walk in that same faith. Hmm. But Paul talks about these thorns in the flesh. And I'm yes, sure everybody, yeah. and including me, and I know probably you as well, Ed, we can relate to there's thorns in our flesh. Hmm. You know, And the truth of giving our will to God and trusting him to give us the victory is presented when Paul describes his struggle with the thorn in the flesh we just mm. talked about. Now, many things can be thorns in the flesh. Paul lists some of these infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. He just said that. Yeah, yeah. And Paul prayed for God to remove it. But what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, he yeah. Said, basically, he said no. Why? God's grace, like you said, God's Mm. grace was all Paul needed in order to deal with a thorn. I'll say that. God's grace was all that Paul needed in order to deal with the thorn. Mm. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, in in my understanding of it, and it's not a salvational issue, but just my reading of the scripture seems like Paul really struggled with his eyesight. Even in one place it says, you would have plucked your eyes out and given it to me. And then he finishes some of the letters, says, look with what big letters I write. So it seems like even after his conversion experience in Damascus, you know, where he went blind, and then his sight was restored, it seems like it wasn't fully restored, and that was part of the thorn in the flesh. But in spite of that, all these other infirmities that he refers to, you know, the, the being buffeted by Satan, um, 
and all the other weaknesses mm. and, you know, the reproaches, the necessities, the persecutions, the distresses, all those were with him throughout his life as well. So there's no question about that. That's right. Mm. God also gives a very important truth when he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Amen. See, the more weak we know ourselves to be, mm. the sooner we stop trying to exert our puny strength to overcome a thorny temptation in our life. That's an important lesson to learn. And so God leaves things in our <laughs> lives, I believe. He will leave things. Because if, if he just had victory over everything like this, you know, snap, 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 mm. we start believing that we were having the victory. Yeah. Okay, so he leaves some thorns in our lives. Because why? Because sooner, sooner or later we'll begin to experience God's mighty power in our life, right? Mm. Our own exertion or effort to overcome a temptation actually gets in the way of God's power to mm. deliver. Yep. You see, when we do that, we are looking for our strength and ability to overcome even though we think we are also depending on God's help. I mean, how much of God's help do we need? 10%? Mm. Maybe 50%. Maybe 90%. Yeah. You know what I mean? We need God's help 100%. And God leaves some thorns in our lives to realize that, that the only way this is going to happen is through you, God. Mm. Yes, yeah, so almost like there's hybrid technology in some of the cars. You know, some of them are part electric and part petrol engine. Yes. And we think, oh, well, it's a little bit of God and a little bit of us, but really it's all God. It's all God, yeah. absolutely. So you, know, you see, when we do that, we're looking at our own strength and ability to overcome, even though we think we're also depending on God's help to help us. God wants to do much more than to help us. He is the victory. Mm. Christ is our deliverance from temptation. And when we back off from such efforts and get ourselves out of the way, then Christ can begin manifesting himself in and through us. Mm. You know, you probably heard of that saying, Eddie, and you know, was it called? Let go and let, let God. God. Yes. And this is what this so saying true. means. Mm. Let go and let God. I know for my life, sometimes when I focus on trying to overcome the thorns in my flesh, and I have some thorns in my flesh, you know, appetite's one of the thorns in my mm. flesh. Can relate. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I try and make efforts to overcome, mm. but I constantly fail. But when I ask God, to have the victory or Jesus to have the victory because Jesus had the victory over mm. over appetite, didn't he? He was in 40 days in the wilderness, yes. didn't he? Mm. I mean, Satan comes along and says, hey, turn these stones into bread. There's some food instantly. And Jesus didn't do it. He said, no, a man should live on not by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. Yeah, so yeah. he had the victory over appetite mm. and he wants to give that victory to us. We have Amen. to turn to Jesus and ask his victory over appetite. Mm. Lord, give me your victory over appetite. So it's not I, but Christ that lives in me. You know, I've had times, you know, when you, you just, you've had enough, but you just keep on feeling hungry and you just desire more food. And at times I've just said to say, Lord, you said if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive, not only to give, but to cleanse. All I can do at the moment is confess. <laughs> I have no more strength in confessing. And I will rely on that promise that you will also cleanse and take it away from me. And you know what? It happens because I, I believe the word of God and God will honor his word. He will do exactly what he says he, he would do. It sounds like you're asking him in faith. Absolutely. I, yes. If you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Because if you don't believe God, you actually make him the liar, the Bible says. Now, none of us deliberately would do that. Yes. But that is, in effect, what we do when we don't believe the promises of God's so word. So we believe by faith in the promises of God. Amen. That's the whole Hebrews chapter 11 chapter, mm. isn't it? We believe by faith that God is able to do what he promises mm. that he said he'll do, even though it might seem an impossibility to us. That's right. All things are possible with, with God. God. Yes. So we've got to believe by faith that he will do what he said he will do. Mm. 
And so I believe that God wants to do much more than help us. He is the victory. Christ is our deliverance from temptation. And when we back off some such efforts and get ourselves out of the way, mm. right, then we can let go and let God. Amen. And I believe this is why the Lord will leave some thorns of temptation in our lives. I'm sure you pray for God to remove some of these besetting sins in your life. I know I have. Look, I've had more than my fair share, to be honest, Colin. I just know that myself, my fallen humanity is a big liability. I've got to lay that aside. And thank you, Jesus, that it was executed at the cross. So when Christ died, I I can claim the fact that I died with him and that Christ can now live in me and I can live that life of victory. But relying on myself, I know for a fact from experience it just doesn't work. Failure after failure. And it can be discouraging. Very much so. You know, they've brought discouragement and it can bring defeat in your life. Mm. But however, God does leave them there because he wants you to learn the lesson that his strength is made perfect Mm. in your weakness. Yes, amen. So what happens is when you start beginning to experience Christ's deliverance in you, then you along with Paul will declare these words. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities Mm. that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, Hmm. in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm. You come to the point that you actually thank God. Paul came to the point where he could thank God for the thorns in his life. Incredible. What an incredible walk and experience with the Lord. Regardless of what's going on around him, he has an inner peace because Christ is in him. Yeah. yeah. And you too can come to the point that you'll actually thank God for the thorns in your life. Why? It is because of them that you've come to experience the amazing delivering power of Christ. Because of them, Christ has become even more precious to you. Mm. You have found him giving you ever-present victories over your temptations, and your praises of him will fill your heart. I mean, you can also rejoice in the thorns because they are opportunities. They're opportunities for God's glory to shine forth through you as Christ manifests his life in and through you. They're opportunities for you to become more and more like Jesus in those areas of your life as he manifests himself more and more in your life. Hmm. And that's why James was spoke of that, didn't he? In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. What does he say, Edian? says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. And, and my translation says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Mm. All right. Exactly. Knowing this, that trying of your faith work is patience or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Yes. So what, what's happening here is when you come to understand this and experience this, you then will be able to describe what Paul describes as sorrowful yet always rejoicing in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. It's a great promise, isn't mm. it? So even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, you will be able to rejoice because Jesus is manifesting himself in you. Mm. Isn't this a wonderful truth? It's an Christ amazing in truth. you the hope of glory. I mean, Jesus lived a perfect, obedient life. Mm. He never sinned. Yeah. And it says that he condemned sin in the flesh by his perfect life. Yes. And then he says, hey, listen, I want to impart my life. I want to come and dwell in you and impart my righteousness, my victories 
in you and through mm. you. So who's all the glory go to? Well, it goes to God. And I mean, if self is dead, self can't work. If self is dead, self can't claim any of the glory. It's all Christ. Well, a dead man it's can't all do anything, merits. can it? That's right. <laughs> a dead man doesn't know anything. Yeah. And those righteousness which are filthy rags, if self is dead, there's no righteousness. It's all Christ's righteousness. It's all Christ's righteousness, yeah. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, I'm learning this. It's been a hard, hard journey because self wants to fight, fight it. Mm. Your natural self wants to fight the temptations in your life, isn't it? It's a natural. Absolutely. Because you know. You know, Paul's, you know, I want to do good, mm. good I, I want to do, I don't do. And so you want to do the right thing, but you just can't do it. Yes. And you're trying to do it in your own strength. Mm. And you fail all the time. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I've already had the victory. Ask me. Ask me. And he'll do it. Amen. Even in the most difficult circumstances, you're able to rejoice because Jesus is manifesting himself in you. Your faith in Jesus develops as endurance that will lead to Christ manifesting himself in you fully. Mm. So this is a process. You know, the Bible talks about uh, and uh, sanctification being the work of a lifetime. Yes. Sanctification from glory to glory, mm. as it says in um, in God's word, that we're transformed from glory to glory in 2 Corinthians 3.18. God's glory is his character. That's right. So this transformation back in the image of God is a process of us learning to let Christ Manifest his glory in and through us Amen. And so we grow into the likeness of Jesus It's a growth of continual grace But it's what the beautiful thing about it Is a growth of more intimacy with God The Father and Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit yeah. We get closer and closer to the Lord And the relationship becomes more dearer And more precious to the point Where we'd rather die than commit a known sin Wow, I want to get to that point Amen, me too But the only way I can get that is, is to go on this process Absolutely. To go on this journey with Jesus mm. And ask him to remove the thorns. Yes. Ask him to have the victory over the sins in my life. Mm, full reliance on God. Yes. 100% reliance on Jesus. Mm. It's the only way. So Christ wants to manifest in the in our flesh. The Bible talks about that you are the temple of God and it is his desire to dwell in you and walk in you. Second mm. Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wow. So this, what's this promise saying there? He wants to what? Dwell within us. Dwell in us yeah. and walk with us. That's right. To be our God and we will be his people, which is really the covenant promise. Yeah. Yeah. So God, we are the temple of God and God wants to dwell in the temple. Remember in the old, old, old uh, temples, mm. that Shekinah glory, God's glory, would dwell in the temple, and it would dwell in dwell in the sanctuary mm. after the sanctuary had been cleansed of sin. Yes, and he would dwell in the most holy place. Right. So, so God has to remove sin in us for God's glory to dwell in us. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It says, "Let them make me a sanctuary that I may tabernacle or dwell among them." Now, here in this text, it says that God will walk among them, but He says He will also dwell in them. So what we needed to learn from that was that Christ ultimately wanted to live within us, that we are his temple. Yeah, and he wants to dwell in us. Mm. And so just like the temple or the sanctuary in the Old Testament, in the desert, and even the temple they built, every day there was this uh, ongoing ceremony of sin. Yeah, the sacrifices. Sin being transferred from you into the blood Mm. of the lamb and then... The blood was then taken into the sanctuary. And then once a year on the Day of Atonement, 
right? There was what's called the cleansing of the sanctuary, mm. where all the sins that had been, you know, being transferred from God's people into the sanctuary through the lamb yes. and the blood were then removed or blotted out and removed from the sanctuary, and then God's glory would dwell in the sanctuary. Mm. Just a wonderful way of God dealing Beautiful. with sin so that he can ultimately do what he wants to do mm. is to dwell in us and be in us and live out his life in and through us. What a great model to teach the plan of salvation, the science of our salvation, I'd call yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I call it God's GPS. Okay. God's plan of salvation. Oh, okay. The sanctuary. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. the Bible says, you know, thy way is in the sanctuary. It mm. says God's way is in the sanctuary. It was God's way of showing us how he deals with sin and what his ultimate purpose was. Mm. It was to dwell in the temple. In the New Testament, we're the temple. And God wants to remove our sins from us through the blood of Jesus. Yes. They're transferred to where? To the lamb. Mm. And Jesus taken his taken that blood where? Into the heavenly sanctuary, yeah, that's it right. talks about yeah. in Hebrews. Because it was transferred from the lamb, of course, and then to the priest, and the priest is the one who would take it and, and actually bear it as well and then take it into the into the sanctuary, into as you're the, saying. Yeah, yeah. And, and eventually into the most holy place once a year mm. where there was the removal or blotting out of sin. Yes, where it gets then transferred onto the instigator of sin. That's right. At, at the end. Yeah, the scapegoat. That's the scapegoat. Right. That's mm. right. So, um, you know, we are the temple of God and he desires to dwell in us and walk with us. See, Jesus wants to live out his life in you and in me. Mm. He wants to manifest all his virtues, character and obedience in and through you and me. And if you choose to turn from your temptations and trust him to manifest himself, he will. In fact, he will become so much such a part of your mind and life that Christ through you will once again manifest in the flesh, in your flesh. Mm. And I want to fill this, this, this little part segment with this beautiful, beautiful quote by Ellen White from The Desire of Ages, page 668. Yeah, okay. And it says, All true obedience comes from the heart. It was hard work with Christ... And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity with his will, that when obeying him, we shall but be carrying out our own impulses. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God, as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Oh, incredible. That, that sin will a... become hateful to us. But how? Just says the answer again. She gives the answer through an appreciation of the character of Christ. Yeah. Remember, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, and I'll draw all men oh, to me. That's right. As we see the character of God demonstrated with his love on that cross. Mm. We look unto that cross, and Jesus says, if we look unto that cross, right, he'll draw us to him, and through communion with him, sin will become hate for us. You know, the cross is the clearest revelation of the love of God for fallen humanity, for the ungodly, for sinners, for his enemies. And as interesting as that, that the justice of God is actually the point where the love of God is more clearly portrayed than anywhere else. So all true obedience comes from where? The heart. Mm. That's what she just said. And uh, she says, and it was heart with Christ. And here's the key. If we consent. So there's the whole thing that God's going to do all these things. Mm. But there's a there's a condition. If is a conditional word, isn't it? Absolutely is, yeah. Like God says, 
in the Bible, if my people pray, <laughs> if we confess our sins. There's a condition. If you do this, God will do that. That's right. So yeah, it's our, conditional. Yeah, that's right. So our part is if we just got to consent. Mm. And if we consent and ask him. Right. Our part is the easy part. I mean, if you look at Jesus and all the hard work he had to do to save us, I mean, that's incredible. That's, yeah. that's superhuman. But it does seem hard for us because it's, it's hard for us because we don't want to let go of the old man. We don't want to let go of self mm. because self is fighting against this promise. Our but, sinful flesh yeah. is fighting against this promise. But it's simple. If you surrender and if you consent... Jesus says he'll do all the rest. Mm. He'll do it if we consent. There is a, uh, a hostility. There is an enmity in our flesh. You know, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says that the carnal mind or the fleshly mind, the word sarks, it just means the flesh, mm. is hostile towards God. It's not subject to the Lord God, nor indeed can it be. So what God has to do, he's got to soften our hearts and draw us by Christ being lifted up so that we actually then desire the righteousness that he offers us. But it is a work, and some people will actually rise up against this beautiful message Mm. simply because the flesh is allowed to continue to run its course. But ultimately, Christ has come so he can conquer the flesh and the desires of the flesh and give us the victory and the salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, you only rise up against it if you don't believe in God's promises. Mm. Which is what? A lack of faith. You don't believe that he said what he'll do, even though it seems impossible. Yes. I mean, it must have been impossible when they were standing at the Red Sea. Uh, well, they were definitely between a rock and a hard place, and of course, an <laughs> army from behind trying to, I mean, to destroy them. Yes. Yeah. But God, with all things, God, there's nothing impossible with God. Yeah. And we just have to have faith to believe that he'll do what he promises to do. And I think Helmut Horbill, in his book, Steps to Personal Revival, being filled with the Holy Spirit points mm. out the three different groups of the carnal man, yes, all right, and the spirit-filled man, and the natural man. And what mm. we've got is we've got this fight between the carnal Christian and the spirit-filled Christian. Yeah, that's we true. We need to let go of that. Yeah, so we have cold works, hot works, and lukewarm works, and I think those three camps are covered <laughs> there by Helmut Horbel in his book. Mm. Well, thank you, Colin. We've come to the end of the first half of our program. What we'll do is we'll just go for a quick break and then we'll continue to unpack this beautiful topic on the thorn in the flesh. Stay tuned. To purchase this and other CDs, visit our online store at 3abnaustralia.org.au. This is a sample from Henry Higgins playing I Will Follow Thee from his CD, Near to the Heart. Welcome back to You Shall Receive Power. Just before the break, we were talking about the importance of and what Jesus means to each one of us and how we can grow in grace and we can have more of Jesus and less of self and how important it is actually to deny self, not rely on our own strength. And we learned the lesson from Paul where Paul was told that that the thorn in the flesh that he had, that Christ's grace was sufficient for him, that God's strength was made perfect 
in the weakness of man. So as soon as we acknowledge the fact that we are weak and we cannot do it in and of ourselves, that is a good start because it now allows the power of God to be revealed in our lives. That's right. And we looked in that beautiful um, quote in The Desire of Ages, page 668, written by Ellen White, of just a beautiful book on the story of Jesus. Mm. And she says that through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. Yeah. Because Jesus, when you think about it, Jesus hated sin, but he loved the sinner. He did. And so if Christ is living in you, sin will become hateful to you, Mm. but you will love the sinner. That's right. Yes, as Christ did. Because quite often we can end up having some pet sins that we do like. Yes. (laughs) And sometimes we can end up hating the sinner. Yes, we can. And and the Lord actually has it the other way around. And if we uh, receive his love poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans 5.5, we can also be like Jesus and we can hate sin, but we can love the sinner. That's right. And the only reason that can happen is if Jesus is living in us. Because it's not us that live. Mm. It's Jesus that lives in us. Like Paul said, it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. I'm crucified to the flesh. And so these words describe those who are ready to meet Jesus when he returns. Mm. When obeying him, they will simply be carrying out their own impulses. Why? Because Christ is fully manifest in and through them. Because of that, their life will become a life of continual obedience. Why? Because they're following or they're allowing Christ to live out his life in them continually. Mm. This is the high and holy calling God is giving to us today. It's a wonderful calling, isn't it? Beautiful. To allow Christ to live out his life in us continually. And this is not a call to try harder. It's not a call to put forth more effort to obey. It's a call to be filled with his spirit, Mm. to choose to obey him in all things, and to let Christ manifest himself in and through us. And when you say yes to his call and learn how to let Christ live out his life in you, your Christian life will no longer be a burden. This is what Christ spoke of, which is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the result of allowing Jesus mm. to live out his life in and through you. You can have this peace that he promised in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Okay, I'm reading from the King James, and it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, what a wonderful promise. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful promise. And so, look, maybe we are, an illustration might help. Though it's not a perfect illustration, it might help us to understand what happens when we daily experience the abiding of Christ in our life. So I want you to picture two pieces of cloth okay. that are placed side by side, parallel to each other. Mm. So one cloth is white which represents the Christian covered with the white righteousness of Christ, though not 100% reflecting his character yet. Okay, well, we need that, don't we? Okay, so there's one cloth, the Mm. white cloth. The other cloth is saturated with liquid blue dye, which represents Christ. Mm. Okay? The blue dye symbolizes his character, his likes, his dislikes, his virtues, his etc. Everything that comes with Jesus. Now, as the blue cloth comes into contact with the white cloth, the blue dye liquid begins seeping in and through the white cloth Yes, as they come into contact with each other. Okay. As long as they stay in close contact, the white cloth will continue to become more and more blue. 
Mm. By the way, blue is a I think is a great representation because blue represents God's law. Yes, it does. And God's law is His character. Mm. And so, as this blue cloth or Christ, okay, mixes with the white cloth, which we're covered with the righteousness of Christ, as it becomes more in contact, what happens? It becomes more and more blue, and in time, only blue is seen. Wow. Not the white. So that, you're talking about that transformation, which is the work of a lifetime. Yeah. That's the sanctification yeah. of, of abiding mm. in Christ. And the blue dye has completely saturated the white cloth. Mm. And in this illustration, we see that the white cloth did not work at becoming blue. <laughs> yeah, it's true, yeah. Did the white cloth try to become blue? I've got to become blue. Oh, please make me blue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It simply stayed in intimate contact with the blue cloth. Mm. It was in contact. It was next to it, rubbing up against it. And as pointed out previously, the and it same, naturally happens. It naturally happens. Yes. The blue dye just goes naturally, takes over the white cloth. Yeah. And the same principle applies to us. Our part is to choose to stay intimately close to Christ and believe he will live out his life in us. That's our part. Hmm to stay intimately close to Christ and believe he will live out his life in us. Though far from a perfect analogy, this illustrates someone represents or somewhat represents what happens when we stay connected with Jesus and allow him to live out his life in and through us. So his life, his character, his virtues, everything about Jesus comes more and more part of our life. Mm. In time... Only Jesus will be seen. Wow. That is the experience Ellen White wrote about with the words, when obeying him, we will be carrying out our own impulses and our life will be a life of continual obedience Mm. because we've been saturated with Jesus, saturated with the blue dye. We've been saturated with Jesus because we're spending so much time with Jesus and Jesus is living in his life through us. You know, we have that example in the Gospels as well. Jesus picks, uh, you know, 12 disciples. And some of these men are fairly rugged. You know, some of them are quite aggressive, and some of them probably would have been valiant soldiers. We know even Peter there, you know, was going to defend God with a small sword. Mm-hmm. And then he's going for the, probably for the jugular and then ends up cutting off this guy's ear. And John, and John, was it John and his brother James were called what? The sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. Like they said, hey, should we rain, de- should we ask to rain down sulfur on this yeah. town that rejected you, Jesus? This is mm. their character, wasn't it? So the righteousness of Christ was covering them all through those faulty episodes. But, you know, you go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, where Peter and John are talking to the, um, the, the Pharisees. You know, they're talking to the Sanhedrin. In the temple, yeah. Yeah, and they're saying... Now, in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, it says, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. So they thought, how can these people be so bold and, you know, and, and speak so knowledgeably? And it says, and they marveled. And then it says, and then they realized that they had been with Jesus. So Jesus had rubbed off on them. That blue dye had yes. permeated that cloth, <laughs> which they were. Yes. And then the character and the testimony of Jesus was Seen and evident in the life of his apostles These rugged men before Had been transformed and changed Because they had rubbed up against Jesus So closely and intimately That's a beautiful example I mean, that's true Remember Peter On the the night of uh, Gethsemane Mm. He splits and denies Jesus three times Yeah, that's right Now you fast forward it In Acts chapter 4 He's there speaking boldly in the temple Mm. for Christ And then later on He is put in jail All right And he was going to be executed the next day 
already James had been executed. He had his head chopped off. Yeah. And Peter was going to be executed. And it says that night before he's going to be executed, he slept like a baby. An angel had to shake him to wake, wake him, him up, up and say, okay, Peter, it's time to go. Yeah. But he slept like a baby. He had that peace that he, he received from Jesus. Incredible. Yeah. So, And I love what uh, Ellen White says about those that experience of all who are ready to meet Jesus when he returns. She's referring to those who seek to serve God. She says in Testimonies, Volume 6, page 306. Can you read that for us? The inexhaustible supplies of heaven are at their command. Christ gives them the breath of his own spirit, the life of his own life. The Holy Spirit puts forth its highest energies to work in heart and mind. So here we're told that the believer has Christ's very life through the Holy Spirit's presence Mm. in his or her life. And that the Spirit brings about this marvelous change in the heart and mind of the believer. Mm. That's why Jesus says you must be born born again, not only of water, but of spirit. Spirit, Then in another place, she explains this amazing miracle of transformation even further in this wonderful book called Testimonies to Ministers, page 389. When his words of instruction have been received and have taken possession of us, Jesus is to us an abiding presence, controlling our thoughts and ideas and actions. And it is no more we that live, but Christ that liveth in us. And he is the hope of glory. Self is dead, but Christ is a living Savior. Wow. So Ellen White is clearly, what she's clearly saying is that it is Jesus' abiding presence that controls our thoughts, ideas, and actions. Mm. And if we choose to believe that he will do this and believe our sinful nature's power over us is dead, then Jesus will most definitely live out his life in us. It's just that simple. I didn't realize how simple it was. Well, the, All these yeah. years struggling and struggling, and even now continually defaulting to the, to the struggle by my own efforts. Mm. And then realizing it's so simple. Jesus, come live in me. It's a beautiful song called Come Live in Me. Yes. Come live in me and live out your life of obedience, your life of purity, your life of peace. Mm. Every attribute of Christ can be ours through him living in us and through us. You know, you're, you're right. It is actually very simple. It's as simple as ABC. I think Ellen White actually makes a statement like that. But quite <laughs> often there's so many things and baggage and thoughts and ideas we bring into it and we try and create a construct out of the gospel mm. based on our thoughts and ideas. But it's as simple as that. We are to deny self, take up our cross and follow Jesus and spend time with him. And Christ will live in us and he will live that life of victory through us. I use this illustration sometimes when I'm preaching. I, I take a children's story mm. about righteous by faith or about victory, victory um, over sin through Christ. Mm. And I take a broom, all right? And, you know, you can take a broom and you can balance it on your palm okay. of your hand. Yeah. All right. Now, you can try it at home. If you balance it on your palm of your hand, like just a normal broom, household broom, if you look up at the top of the room, you look up, you can balance it on your hand, mm. on the palm of your hand, the broom, yes, the handle part. If you look at your hand and try and balance it, you can't do it. Oh, I'm going to have to give that a try. So, so I've tested it many times, and I usually pick someone who's the strongest, most sportiest person in the church. Okay. I get them come up, and I first demonstrate and say, okay, do you believe I can balance this broom on my hand, just the palm of my hand. Hmm. Some say yes, some say no, the kids. And so I do it, but I'm looking up. Then I bring someone up from the um, church and say, do you think he can do it or she can do it? And they go, oh, I'm not sure. And I say, but I'm going to change the rules. Yes. Now I want you to do it, but I want you to look at yourself. 
and they can't do it. Yeah. It's another illustration that to have victory, you have to look to Christ for victory. Mm, if amen. you look to yourself, you can't do it. I, I love that analogy. It's great. If you don't mind, I might borrow it one day. Absolutely. <laughs> so here we're told that the believer has Christ's very life through the Holy Spirit's presence in his life or her life, and that the Spirit brings about marvelous changes in the heart and mind of the believer. Then in another place, she explains this amazing miracle of transformation further in Testimonies to Ministers, page 389. When his words of instruction have been received and have taken possession of us, Jesus is to us an abiding presence, controlling our thoughts and ideas and actions. It's no more that we live that live, but Christ that lives in us. Mm. He is the hope of glory. Self is dead, but Christ is a living Savior. Mm. I mean, mean, she's basically quoting Paul. It's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. That's that's right. She's saying exactly the same thing. And so she's clear on the matter. She clearly states here that it's Jesus' abiding presence that controls our thoughts, ideas, and actions. Mm. If, here's the big if, the word if is a conditional word. Yes. If we choose to believe that he will do this, and if we believe our sinful nature's power over us is dead, then Christ will most definitely live out his life in us. It's just that simple. Mm. And so as we embrace this as we continue this process of the believer's life. For example, previously always in pure thoughts whenever he saw a woman, for example, you know, mm-hmm. driving down the road and you see a woman in a miniskirt or something like that, especially she's like dressed, you know, like scantily dressed. Sure. Well, now he only have pure thoughts when he sees such a woman. Mm. All right. In situations where anger would have risen in the past, you know, when, who knows, when you're driving or someone does something to says something and you get angry, there's no longer anger anymore. When certain unhealthy foods would have triggered a craving, now there is no craving. These are examples of how Christ will be manifest in the believer's life that chooses to let him do so. Mm. You can relate to all three of those sins, Colin, and uh, that's what I'm saying, that self is a liability. We need Christ to set us free from all those desires, all those carnal desires that we have. So we can live a life of purity and holiness, not I, but Christ. And so when you're tempted to the, for those certain, just for example, those things, you turn to Jesus and say, Lord, give me mm. your temperance mm. and believe by faith he will. Amen. Or Lord, give me your peace. Mm. And he will. Believe by faith that he will manifest his peace in and through you. Or Lord, give me your purity. And he will. Yes. Amen. You've got to believe it by faith that he will. And the power of the, sin, of the sinful nature will be totally subdued, and Christ's sinless nature will be totally dominant in the life. Mm. You know, my mum's favorite text, uh, she passed away of cancer uh, over 20 years ago now, but her favorite text was out of uh, the book of John, chapter 14, verse 27, where Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives giver unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And that's a promise each of us that desire peace can claim. That regardless of what we're going through, God will give us his peace. And like you're saying, he'll even give us his righteousness as well. Yeah. What well, says that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9? That's right. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness. Righteousness, yeah. That's a fruit of the Spirit, righteousness. Mm. So that's when, you know, in the Bible it says, you know, he who is righteous. But it just says there is none as righteous, only 
our righteousness is like filthy rags. So how can we be righteous? Well, it's Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. Amen. That is imputed and imparted mm. or given to us or him living in his life in through us. It's his righteousness. Mm. And, you know, it's sometime in the future. I don't know how far in the future Christ will actually make that declaration that you just mentioned there. You know, it's uh, in Revelation, isn't it? Revelation chapter 22, 11, it says that he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. So those in those states will remain in those states. It's like as they've been sealed in that state. There's, mm. there's, and then it says this beautiful thing. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. So they're sealed in the state that they have. Why? Because Christ lives in them. Self is dead. Self is forgotten. And it's all about Jesus. Their sins have been forgiven and mm. they've received Christ's imparted righteousness. In other words, he's living in them and it's his righteousness yeah. that's seen in, in and through them. Mm. And so in short, whatever attitudes or behavior the Lord asks us to exhibit, right, whatever he's asking us to do, he will manifest in and through us if we choose to let him and believe he will. And so this requires us to be aware of the attitudes and behaviors God wants us to exhibit. We need to know what they are. Mm. And we find this instruction in the Word of God in such sections as Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, beautiful. It clearly sermon. reveals to us God's will for us in many situations in life, doesn't it, in the mm. Sermon on the Mount? Because that sermon is very clear. It doesn't only pertain to actions but to thoughts as well. So it shows you how high the standard is in regards to the requirements of the law of God. Yeah, the standard is high. Very high. And it's impossible for us to achieve yes. by our own efforts. Can't do it. But Christ mm. did it. Amen. And so therefore, if Christ is living in us, it's him doing it. Mm. And he's done it already. That's right. He's not lost one battle. It's a and, done deal. And he can win the battle through you as well if you would get out of the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so the Sermon on the Mount sets the standards are very high, impossibly mm. high for us to attain by our own efforts, mm. no matter how hard we try. And this standard will be only met as Christ lives out this standard through us. Yes. And Paul actually points this out into the letter of Romans perfectly in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. And it says, And what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And then verse 4, That the righteous requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what we've got to walk according to what? The Spirit. Spirit, not mm. according to our flesh or our sinful nature. And so mm. in these verses, Paul tells us that it's impossible, right, with mm. our sinful nature to fulfill the righteous requirements of God's law. That's right. However, because Christ came in the flesh, it says mm. came in the same flesh. That's right. Right. Obeyed the law perfectly and fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law, he condemned sin breaking its power. Mm. Therefore, through Christ, the righteous requirements of the law can be fully met in us. Yes. Who do not yield, so we do not yield to our sinful nature, but allow the Spirit to manifest obedience in mm. us. Amen. I love it. That is part of the good news of the gospel. And this part of probably the new covenant promise, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So what is the new covenant promise? Well, the new covenant promise is found in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. Here's the new covenant promise. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So what was the basis of the covenant? The law. The law of God. Yes. Even in the, new, in the old covenant, the basis of the covenant was what? The law. What's the basis of the new covenant? The law. It's still the same law. It's but same our relationship law. changes to the law in Jesus Christ, which is wonderful. Yeah. You know, the law written on tables of stone, Second Corinthians chapter 3, Three says yes. that that is the ministration of death to the sinner. Mm. But we receive it through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that actually ministers the life of Christ. Yeah, and that righteousness that comes through it as well, and it continues to go in that in that Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, I believe, that he doesn't write it on stones in the new covenant. He wants to write it tables of our flesh. That's right. Amen. Well, what do you write on tables of stone? Ten commandments. Ten commandments. Yes. So what do you want to write on our hearts and our mm, minds? Mm. Ten commandments. Amen. And so, what we're presenting is God fulfills this new covenant promise by Him writing this law on our mind and hearts, mm. and our part is to choose to allow Him to do it. That's our part. Choose to allow him to do it. So God foretold through the prophet Ezekiel that he would do this. Another promise by God says, this is what I'm going to do, guys. Yeah, that's right. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. This is what God says what he's going to do. Okay, and it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, that you will keep my judgments and do them. Wow. Did you notice that God said in there seven times, I will. (laughs) Seven times he says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. Mm. He says, I will clean you from your filthiness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart mm. of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, all my laws and judgments. God's saying, I'm going to do this. That's right. Yeah. So who's the one working? It's actually Christ. We just have to cooperate and make sure that, yeah. that our flesh is taken out of the way and allow God to do exactly what he promised he would do in the scriptures. Now, this is a promise that God made in the Old Testament. This is not the New Testament. He made that promise in the Old Testament. Mm. And the New Testament confirms this promise in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Wow. So being that he that began a good work in you, so God began this work in you, and he's going to finish it. Mm. Until when? The day of Christ. And when's that? The second coming of Jesus. Amen. Isn't it? That's right. So note that God who performs this work, Paul presents this same truth in his letter to Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 to 24, Paul says the same thing again. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you who also will do it. So who's going to do it? Jesus Christ and God the Father, yes. They're going to do it. He's going to sanctify you wholly, isn't Mm, he? There's sanctification. God's part is to sanctify us. And again, Paul is very clear. It is God who does the sanctifying. Our part is to choose to allow him to perform the work within our spirit, soul, and Mm. body. This work of sanctification, this work of cleansing us, this work of writing, writing God's law in our mind and our hearts and taking the stony heart out of our flesh, uh, 
him causing us to keep his commandments is all Christ in us, mm. the hope of glory. Amen. Well, dear listener, we've come up to the end of the second part of our, our study here, and I hope you've been blessed by it. It's so beautiful to see that God is the author of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, that from beginning to end, God is the one that moved. God is the one that came in search of us. The Bible is very clear that unless God draws us, unless the Father draws us, we cannot come to him. So God is the one that actually even gives us the right motives and the right ideas. And those who actually allow the Spirit of God to draw us, to draw me and you to Christ, these are the ones that God also promises that he will write his laws within our hearts, within our minds. And by that whole process of having the commandments of God in our hearts and our minds, it gives us new motives, new desires, which allows him then to be our God and us then to be his people. We pray that God has blessed you as we've looked at this study. We're just going to go for a short break, and then when we come back, we'll just wrap it up with a few comments, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next time. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249-73-3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to You Shall Receive Power. We were just talking before the break about the importance of receiving Jesus and receiving his life. And then also, Colin, we were just talking about the importance of actually having the yoke of Christ placed on us and what that actually does. Because a yoke, you sometimes think, well, I've got to carry a very heavy burden. But God actually promises us something quite different to what you would typically expect from a yoke being placed on you. Well, when you think about the yoke, and it was on an oxen, right? You had hmm. a lead or head oxen and you had a junior oxen. Right. And so the younger one was put with the lead one. Now, if, the, if the, it was the older oxen that led... Uh, now, if experienced one. So yeah. experienced one. Now, if you fought that, it was difficult. Hmm. You'd be going all over the place. But if you just go with it, and I would go with the flow, hmm. go with the oxen and just don't fight it, then it was easy. Okay. And that's what's that's why Jesus used that example. Hmm. Because you don't if you if the young one fought it, then it was like difficult, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The burden was harder. It was harder to do it. But if you just went with the senior one and followed the example, it was, became easier. The yoke became easier. You just went along with it because the, the elder or senior um, ox knew what he was doing. Right. The experience and knew what he was doing. And Jesus knows what he's doing. Mm, amen. So he's got to go with Jesus and trust with Jesus and not fight it. And that's what it means like that. And so every Christian... Um, who has not experienced deliverance from temptation through Christ, but is trying to do it through their own efforts, right? Is like that younger ox. Okay, they're trying to fight it by by their own efforts, mm. and they're asking God to add His power to their efforts. Is not experienced the light burden Jesus is referring in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Mm. Instead, their life is weighed down with frustration, bewilderment, and feelings of defeat. And Jesus is calling us to come to Him with this burden. And if you learn how to do that, you'll find rest and your walk with the Lord will become much easier and lighter. Mm. Why? Because Jesus has given you his, his victory and you are resting in him. Amen. 
That is beautiful. Thank you very much for that. I, I quite like the fact that comes out of that text that says that, you know, if you are burdened and heavy laden to come and take Jesus' yoke, because you're carrying a yoke anyway. Put that yoke aside. Take the yoke of Jesus because his burden is easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And dear listener, we pray that you've been blessed by today's study. We pray that you've been encouraged by it. The whole message today is not I, but Christ. And we encourage you to get a hold of the book, 50 Days Prayers and Devotions to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return. We just covered day 30 today. And we know that if you go through this program, it's a 50-day program, you will be blessed by it. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 